2 Samuel chapter 24 and verse 1 and 2. We'll begin there. I don't feel as rushed on Sunday evenings to bulldoze my way through the entire outline. And so uh, we'll just move at the speed we want to move at. If it takes us a week or two or three, we'll, we'll do that. But I, 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 I think tonight's message is going to really be a good um, piece of information for all of us uh, because David here makes a big mistake and then gets it right. And the end of the story is just beautiful. And so I think there's a lot of lessons we can learn from it. Let's look at verse 1. The Bible says, And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go, number Israel and Judah. For the king said to Joab, the captain of the host which was with him, Go now uh, through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, and number ye the people, that I may know the number of the people. The title of the, the message is this, how to properly get right with God. How to properly get right with God. You ever known that you just weren't right with God? You ever known you and God weren't on good terms? And you think, I want to fix this, but I don't really know how. I don't know what I'm doing. Well, tonight's Bible study is meant to help show us a formula from the life of David about how to properly get right with God. Let's pray this evening. God, help us as we dive into the text and the passage to understand exactly what you have for us. Lord, help us when we sin and we fall out of good favor with you. May we, Lord, do as David did and pursue your heart. Lord, own our mistake, confess our sin, be honest with ourselves in heaven, those we've wronged, and Lord, help us to get it right. Help us to stay right. Lord, help us to live lives that are righteous lives, lives in good standing with heaven. God, guide us this evening. Spirit of God, please, would you take the truths and individually apply them uh, as necessary to each of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. What is a cliché? Alright, we hear the term. That's cliché. A cliché is a term or a phrase that is overused. Alright? A cliché. Um, every walk of life has their fair share of cliches, uh, church included. All right, you'll hear someone say, it's under the blood. All right, that's become cliche. How about, I'll pray about that. I'll pray about that. You know what that means? No. Okay, I'm not going to do it. But instead of just telling someone no, you say, I'll pray about that. All right. Uh, you, you have all kinds of little cliches. And another cliche that is common in church is this phrase, get right with God. You need to get right with God. How many of you have heard that phrase to a point where it's become a cliche? Get right with God, okay? Um, and so in Bible college, we would uh, joke around with each other, and we would get preachy at each other. you got a bunch of preacher boys, 18 to 22 years old, and you know, they're just, they're just rambunctious, right? They're like junior high boys in, in an 18 year old body and, but with a Bible in their hand. And we'd beat each other up with our Bibles, brother Manny. And we'd get, stick our Bible in each other's face and say, you stinking sinner, you need to get right with God! It's a phrase that just became overused and, 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 but it is a phrase that is true. Alright? First let me say, that it is a great place to be when you are right with God. It's a great place to be. 
In fact, I can't think of a better place to be than to know that I and my Maker are one with each other. Right? I and my Maker are at peace with each other. I can go to heaven and I can commune with the heart of God and not have this sentiment of, He's not happy with me. I've done it again. I've messed up. Um, when there are behavioral issues in my home as a parent, my son and daughter um, are um, not in right standing with me and their mother. All right? I've got to say, let's just say I've got a, a child who is just not happy with me or is doing wrong and I'm not happy with him or her. All right? The last thing I want is to have my child go to bed and there's this problem in the air, right? They go to bed upset with me or I go to bed upset with them. You know what? They're not right with me and I'm not right with them. Am I hitting where we're living this evening? Do I understand? How about with uh, your spouse, those of you that are married? The last thing I want to do is go to bed at night and have Angela angry at me or me be angry with Angela because now I'm not right with her and she's not right with me. All right? So that term, right with God, are you right with God? Think about it this way. When you go to bed at night, are you right with God and is God right with you? When we get right with God, we are getting our relationship right with God. We're getting our relationship right with God. Um, We are choosing to admit wrongdoing, and then we're changing our actions so that the relationship with Him can be in both a healthy and enjoyable place. I think the reason why so many Christians don't pray more than they do is because you don't want to talk to someone when you have a problem with them or they have a problem with you. And when I'm doing this, this, and this, and it's in violation of what God wants for me, but I'm being stubborn and I've continued to do this, this, and this, the last thing I'm going to want to do is walk in the presence of God and have a conversation with Him. Because I have this sense that he's not happy with me. And you know what? He's not. Because I've chose to live in sin. That's why David said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I choose to live in sin, the Lord doesn't hear me. You know what? If you have an attitude of, I don't pray because I'm not right with God, that's actually accurate. Because if you were to pray, God's not going to listen to you anyway. Not until you, not until you deal with the sin in your life. So, I want us to turn over to James 4, because before we get into 2 Samuel 24, and we see David's sin, and we see how he got right with God, we need to see the model that James 4, James chapter 4 lays out. I really hope everyone turns over there and looks at this with me. James chapter 4, okay? And we're gonna look at verse 6 through 10, and if you like formulas that are just Put on paper, do this, this, and this, and you'll get this, this, and this. James 4 offers a formula of how to get right with God. So we're going to look at the formula in James 4, and then as we go through 2 Samuel 24, we'll continue to reference back and show how David followed the formula laid out in James 4 uh, in the story where he really blew it big 
with, um, with God. Look at James 4. Look at verse number 6. All right? And we're going to read a verse. I'll give you some comment, some commentary, and then we'll move on to the next verse. Look at verse 6. James chapter 4. And in fact, let me have some of the men in the room help me read uh, these verses if I can. All right? Uh, let's see. Uh, Brother Okai, we usually start on this side of the room. Let's start over here on this side. Could you take verse 6 for us? All right, so step number one, if you're going to get your relationship right with God, is that you have to boot the pride out of your heart. You've got to eject the pride out of your heart, and you have to choose humility with God. That's step number one. You cannot go anywhere else getting right with God until you get rid of your pride and you humble yourself before your maker. So that is the first requirement. You know, some folks, they wear pride around their neck. The book of Proverbs says they wear the pride around their neck like a chain. They show it off like a piece of jewelry. They're proud and they're proud that they're proud. I, look, I battle with pride like all of you in here do. All of us battle pride. Everyone battles pride. But you ought to battle it. And you ought to identify it. And you ought to attack it. And you ought to cast it out of your heart. And you ought to confess it. And you ought to tell the Lord, here is pride welling up in me again. Lord, take the pride from me and give me humility because only with a humble heart can you even enter the presence of God. Uh, Hebrews 4 tells us that we're to enter the throne room of grace with boldness. But that doesn't mean that we enter the throne room of grace with entitlement. We don't enter the throne room of grace and start demanding of God what to give us or do for us. We enter with boldness because we've been forgiven, but in that forgiveness, we also enter the throne room with humility. With humility. We come in with a spirit of humility because you and I, we don't deserve to talk to God in prayer. And when we enter into His presence and we're not right with Him, boy, we should come with a humble heart. Now, I'm just going to speak right where we live this evening. If Matthew and April have done something and they've really blown it with me or their mother and they've done wrong, they've had a bad attitude and, 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 and we've just got this disorder in our home and, and we're at odds with each other and all of a sudden Matthew or April wants to make it right, I do not want them walking up to me with a boastful, proud, arrogant attitude. Because I'm going to tell you right now. If my child approaches me like that and they're in the wrong, I have no bit, I have no desire to have any conversation with them. You go fix your attitude and you go humble yourself and you come back here and talk to me with a humble heart and then we can go somewhere. But until you come with a humble heart, it isn't going to work. You know what? I've had my share of marital spats with Angela over the years. And I'm going to tell you right now, anytime I've tried to fix a problem with her and I've come with pride in my heart, it has never one time worked out well. Doesn't work that way. You have to, and look, I, I think we hear the term get right with God, and, and we forget God is trying to have a relationship with us. A personal one-on-one -on -one relationship. And no relationship works where pride is at the center of the relationship. Only by pride cometh what, church? Contention. Only by pride cometh contention. You show me contention in a relationship, I'll show you where pride is. You're not getting along with your spouse right now, there's pride there. Now, it may not be you, it may be your spouse, but most likely it's both of you. Most likely it's both of you. And so, step number one is we must kick out the pride. God resists the proud. 
He giveth grace unto the humble. Look at verse 7 of the formula here. So step one of the formula is what? Eject pride, embrace humility. Look at verse 7. Let's have another man here read that. But Jason, could you read verse 7 for us? Very good. So we're submitting ourselves to God. Right? We're resisting the devil. Alright? So watch this. When you choose sin, you're submitting yourself to the devil and you're resisting God. So you get to choose whether you're going to submit to the devil and resist God or submit to God and resist the devil. It really is that simple. I mean it. You say, oh, I'm not serving the devil when I sin. Yes, you are. Absolutely you are. You are bowing down to the base desires of your flesh. You're letting pride rule and reign in your heart. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, if I was preaching junior church and I was talking about this, I'm going to tell you what I'd tell the kids. I'd say, Satan is jumping up and down and going, woohoo! Alright! Yeah, you go! Yeah, that's it! That's how you do it! Disobey mom and dad! Yeah, woohoo! Smart off to the teacher! Yeah, don't do your homework! Yeah! And you know what Satan's doing? He's jumping up and down when you have a bad attitude. When you're not in right standing with God, Satan's excited because you're bowing down to him and you're resisting God. When we resist the idea of going to church, or we resist the idea of reading our Bible, or we resist the idea of prayer, or we push away from the right kind of friends and run toward the wrong kind of friends, we are bowing down to the devil and we're resisting God and His will for our lives. And and listen... You cannot be right with God if you're serving the devil, submitting to the devil, and you're resisting God. But you sure can be right with God when you submit to God and you resist the devil. And you know what? This verse is amazing, verse 7, because it works both directions. All right, let's read it as it's written again. Look at verse 7, okay? Look at there. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You know what that means? If you submit to to God and you resist the devil, the devil's going to run from you. But let's look at the verse in the opposite. Look at it again. Submit yourselves, therefore, to the devil. Resist God, and he will flee from you. God is not going to hang around and have any relationship with you if you're going to resist God and submit to Satan. So if you want to be right with God, boy, we better get rid of the pride. We better come with the spirit of humility. We better submit ourselves to God's way. We better push away from Satan's way. And guess what? Satan goes a-running. Now look at verse 8. Look at verse number 8. Brother Carl, you got a Bible there? Can you read verse 8 for us? Now, you've confessed your sin. All right? And you've done that with a heart of humility. By the way, that's a great place to start. Some of you tonight, you know what you need to do? You need to bend a knee before you go to bed tonight. And you need to tell the Lord with a humble heart, I'm wrong. I'm wrong with what I've been watching on TV. I'm wrong with the music I've been listening to. I'm wrong with the things I've been putting in my body. I've been wrong in my attitude. I've been bucking authority. I'm wrong. I've not been reading my Bible. I've not been in prayer. You haven't been hearing from me, Lord. You say, do I really need to say I'm sorry for not reading my Bible? You think if I went three weeks without talking to Angela and just ignoring her, that I wouldn't owe her an apology after that? 
Well, you better better you you better believe I would owe her an apology. First words out of my mouth after three weeks of silence is, "Woman, bring me a sandwich." She's going to take a sandwich and shove it in my face. You with me? First thing out of my mouth better be some sort of plausible explanation on why I've been quiet and in a very deep, sincere apology. Now watch this. You, you go to the Lord in humble prayer and you say you're sorry. That doesn't mean you and God have intimate fellowship. I've had times where I've had to punish Matthew or April. And I mean punish, punish them hard. And you know what? After I punish them, and we deal with it, and we deal with it the right way, and I make sure the air is cleared, guess what? There's no, no longer now a problem between us, but can I tell you what is between us? Space. There isn't a warmness in the relationship. Because I've just had to, huh, and they've had to come and apologize. So you know what? Now I have cleared the problem out of the way for a relationship. Now I need to start taking steps toward God to better the relationship. You with me tonight? Am I preaching where we're living? Okay? We say, Lord, I'm sorry I did this, this, and this. Alright, what are you going to do next? Because just saying I'm sorry does not give you a good relationship with God. Next, I need to start taking steps toward God. How do I, how do I take steps toward God? If tonight you get down on your knees and you say to the Lord, I'm sorry for this, that, or the other, and the next morning you don't get up and read your Bible or have a time of prayer, you've cleared the air, but then you've not taken advantage of the fact that God has forgiven you. So as you draw nigh to God, Brother Benny, can you come up here and help me, sir? Brother Joe, back that camera out so everyone online can see this if you can. All right, stay over there. Stay right there, okay? Now, you're going to illustrate the Lord, and I'm going to illustrate me, okay? Illustrate someone. So I've, I've done wrong with the Lord, all right? And, and uh, I've come and I've said I'm sorry. And now the problem is cleared. Now watch this. I'm going to take a step toward you, and when I do, I want you to take a step toward me, okay? Here we go. Ready? Now I've taken two steps progress toward the Lord. I took a step, and he took a step. And then I get up the next day and I read my Bible a little bit more. And I spend time in prayer. And then comes Sunday morning. And you know what I do? I get up and I pray and I say, Lord, when I get to church today, show me something from the Bible that's going to help me be a better Christian. I don't just show up to church because it's my habit. I don't just show up to church because that's what I'm supposed to do. I come in with a heart ready to worship. I'm not fighting with my spouse on the way in. He's not having to drag me in. And if I'm a lady, my husband's not having, or my wife's not having to, uh, if I'm a lady, my husband's not having to drag me in. If I'm a, if, if I'm a man as I am, my wife's not having to drag me in, right? I'm just ready to go. I've got my Bible. I'm ready to go learn. I'm ready to grow. Lord, show me things. And I get into church and the songs are sung and I sing out and, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm just so close to the Lord in my spirit. And you know what? I've taken another step toward the Lord. You know what I'm doing? I'm drawing nigh to God and He's drawing nigh to me. How do you make your relationship right with God? It ought to be that you and the Lord get so close that if you do mess up and you feel pushed away because of your sin, this is missed so much that immediately you stop and say, Oh Lord, I'm sorry I did that and now I'm right back here. Go back to the original spot with the many. Many of us, we live like this. We avoid any personal closeness with God. 
And our idea of a relationship with God is a corporate gathering at church where we let Pastor Lejeune or our life group leader's relationship with God carry us through life, but we're not really walking with the Lord. We're just sort of soaking in what Pastor Lejeune gives us from the Word, but we ourselves are not growing in the Word. And what we have to do is we have to deal with sin because sin hurts our relationship with God. Many people, they hate the consequences of their sin, but they don't actually hate their sin. They, they hate when they get hurt, but they don't hate when they do wrong. And watch this. When you learn to hate sin uh, for the right reasons, here's one of the biggest reasons why you should hate sin. Because sin keeps me from being close with the Lord. And I want to be close to God. And I want to have right standing with God. Thank you, Brother Manning. I uh, was blessed. I didn't plan on saying this tonight. Boy, I sure think it, it's going to help somebody. I was blessed to grow up in a home where I had a loving mother and father, and we had a very good rhythm and cadence and system of love in our home. I loved being with my dad, and I still love being with my dad. My dad uh, right now is uh, delivering, he, he drives a, a, an oil tanker. And uh, he delivers oil, and, and he, gets his, he gets his source in either New Haven or Bridgeport, and he delivers all over this area. And Probably about once every two weeks, my dad calls me, and he says, Hey, I'm going to be delivering at this gas station in Stratford or in Bridgeport. Do you have time? Can you run over? And, and can we just talk while I'm, while I'm you know, getting the gas on the ground for the, for the gas station? And, and I think two, three, four times I've gone over and met with him. And I've grown up enjoying a great relationship with my dad. And you know what? As a result, I know that, watch this now, right standing with dad is normal. Wrong standing with dad is a problem that needs to be immediately rectified. But unfortunately for many people, they grow up in a dysfunctional home where wrong standing is normal. Wrong standing is normal. Having mom and dad be angry at you when you were growing up was the norm. Being irritated, uh, parents who were irritated with you was the norm. You didn't have love in your home, you had frustration and anger in your home. And so when I say to you, to be right with God and have right standing with God ought to be the norm, that's a foreign concept because you didn't grow up with that. Can I tell you that whether or not you had that growing up, it is a beautiful thing to have with your Maker and your Creator. You don't need to live in dysfunction and frustration and anger and feeling like God's always angry at you. God's default is not to be angry at you. God's default is to love you and embrace you and hold you in His arms. God wants that rich relationship with you. But boy, you have to want it. Now look at verse 8. Draw nigh to God. He'll draw an eye to you. Now, how do we make this happen? All right, How do we go from confession of sin, this space, the sin's been cleared, but there's still this space between us, and we're going to eliminate the space and create intimacy, right? Relational intimacy. Here's the key. Look here. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Now, watch what God is saying here. The first thing you do is you deal with the sins that are outward. But at the same time, you deal with the sins that are inward. 
We should not just worry about the sins that other people see. We should deal with the sins that only God sees. Christians have a tendency to clean themselves up on the outside for the gain of the approval of man, but yet on the inside where their maker can only see, they leave it filthy. You know, I don't care if you know how to dress or carry your Bible or come to church or use all the spiritual lingo and talk. You can come in here and you can fool me like that. I'm not hard to fool because I want to believe the best in everybody. I'm being very honest with you right now. Unless I know you well outside of the auditorium here, unless you've opened up and shared with me or I have had a chance to see some of your struggles and problems, when I look at most of you in here, you know what I think? I think the absolute best. I think what you present to me. But God sees well past the veneer, and He sees you at your worst day, at your worst moment, and on top of that, He sees you every day at every moment. And many of us are content to gain the approval of a spiritual leader while we have the disapproval of God on the inside. And listen, I'm not here to say the outside isn't important. Ladies, I think you should dress modest when you come to church. Men, I think you should look like a man when you come to church. Alright? I think we should be careful with our language. Someone says, well, you know what, I cuss at home, so I'm going to come to church and cuss too. No, I don't think you should come to church and curse. Alright? Listen, it, it shouldn't be that you, well, I'm going to curse at church, so I'm not, I believe in being consistent. How about we don't curse at all? Amen? How about we watch our language? Is God worthy of you not cursing? Not taking His name in vain? How about not just the outside of the glass be clean and the inside full of excess and dead men's bones, but the whole thing be clean? Look at verse number 10. Humble yourself. Or rather, verse 9. Alright, let me see. Uh, Brother Josh, you got a King James Bible there? Can you read verse 9 for us? I've said it before, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit here long, but the art of being truly sorry and sorrowful over personal sin is all but lost in our fast-paced culture. When was the last time that you looked yourself in a spiritual mirror and actually shed a tear over what you saw in yourself. When was the last time that you truly were afflicted and you mourned over a sin habit that you just couldn't overcome? When was the last time that you knew God was displeased with you And because you valued your relationship with Him so deeply, it hurt you that you had hurt His heart. You see, fearing God is not just being afraid that God is going to hurt me. Fearing God on a mature level is fear that I'm going to hurt God's heart with my sin. And as a result, I'm going to mourn because I've let God down. Verse 10 reiterates verse 6. Brother Ordonius? As I humble myself 
he lifts me up. But watch this. As I lift myself up, he's going to humble me. He's going to actually humiliate me. I don't want God to humiliate me. Right? I have to stay humble and let him lift me up. You ever done something good and had someone, oh, man, that was great. You did a great job. Wow. I didn't know, I didn't know you could do that. That's incredible. Well, you know, I, you know, I've been working at that a long time. Be careful. Pride cometh before a fall, the Bible says. Humble yourself and let Him lift you up. But never forget where you come from. Now, what does it mean to be right with God? It means to get rid of the pride. It means to submit, to, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil. Right? It means to draw nigh by cleansing your hands and, and purifying your heart. It means to afflict and mourn and weep over your sin. It means to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. So let's look at 2 Samuel 24. We've only got about seven or eight minutes here. So we're going to get into the very beginning of this, and then we're going to finish the Bible study next week. Next week, by way of introduction, I'm only going to briefly hit um, uh, James 4, and then we'll get deep into the passage here. Okay, number one. Number one, notice the source of the senses. The source of the senses. Okay, now, chapter 24 of 2 Samuel is also shared in 1 Chronicles 21. So turn over to 1 Chronicles 21 and put a marker there. And um, we're going to be flipping back and forth between the two, okay? Now look with me at verse number 1 of 2 Samuel 24. This is interesting and a little bit confusing. I'm glad we have 1 Chronicles 21 because it provides for us some clarity, okay? 2 Samuel 24, look at the first verse. The Bible says, And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. So look down with me. Let's see, what verse? Quickly, look down at verse number 10. Look down at verse 10 of 24. 2 Samuel 24. And David's heart smote him after he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, I have sinned. Now hold on, verse 1 seems to indicate that God put it in David's heart to number the people. And then verse 10 says that David sinned in doing so. So did God... Push David to sin and then punish him for it? Obviously, it's not quite that. All right? It looks that way here. 1 Chronicles 21 gives us a little more clarity. So let's see who the source is of the senses. Letter A, notice Satan's petition. Satan's petition. Look at chapter 21 and look at verse number 1. 21 and verse number 1. 1 Chronicles 21, 1. All right, let's see here. Brother Manny, can you read verse 1 and 2 for us? So verse 1 says what? It says it was Satan that stood up against Israel. But Second Samuel says it was God that pushed David to number Israel. So which one is it? Is it Satan or is it God? How many of you here are a little confused? All right, be honest. 
little confused, all right? I'm going to help, help you out. The rest of you here already have it figured out because you're Bible scholars, all right? Good. I'm going to help you try to understand this. So we see letter A, Satan's petition. Satan wants to tempt David to commit this sin. Letter B, we see God's permission. God's permission. Take your Bibles to Job chapter 1, all right? Job chapter 1 and look at verse number 9. Back in 2 Samuel 24, 1, the Bible says, And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. So, while I'm having you turn to Job 1, let me explain to you what's going on here. All right? Satan goes to God in heaven. He says, I want to tempt David to number Israel. And God says to Satan, I'm going to give you permission to do that. I'm going to let you do that. He says, I'm angry at Israel over some other sin, and so I'm going to allow you to tempt David to do wrong. Was it God's idea for Satan to tempt David? No, it was Satan's idea for Satan to tempt David. God just simply backed off and said, I'm going to allow you to tempt David to do wrong. And so we see this same situation playing out in the life of Job. Look at Job chapter 1, look at verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. So, verse 12, okay, And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only uh, upon him put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Now what's going on here? Same thing. Satan goes to God and says, Hey, yeah, let me have Adam and he'll curse you. Let me tempt him to curse you and he'll curse you. And you know what God says to Satan? I'm going to give you permission to go ahead and do this evil against my servant. Look down at verse number 20. And this gives us the perspective. Job 1 verse 20. Then Job arose. So all the evil happens is... His children die, all of his wealth is gone, and, and uh, he's in great, great sorrow. Verse 20, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head, fell down upon the ground and worshipped, and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Now this is fascinating. Nowhere in Job 1, 20, does um, Job blame Satan. You know who Job ascribes this happening to? You know who Job says this came from? He says it came from God. He says, God is the reason why I have suffered this. Now, is Job accurate in saying this came from God? Sure, because God signed off on it. But you know what Job did not do? He did not say, you bad God for letting this happen. You know what Job said? God, you're sovereign. You can do whatever you want to to me. I came into this world naked, and if I, I came in with nothing, and if I leave with nothing, you're still worthy of being worshipped. So who tempted David to number Israel? It was Satan. God signed off on it. Just like it was Satan that rained down evil on Job, but God signed off on it. Letter C, and lastly, we see David's pride. Now, 
in and of itself, is there anything sinful about numbering the people? No. Alright? In fact, God instructs other kings to number the people. God had Moses number the people in the wilderness. And so, uh, taking a census is not wrong. In fact, taking a census it could be argued is sort of the duty of a civil government to know the state of your flock, to know how many people you have. There's nothing necessarily wrong uh, with that. What made it wrong? Look at verse 2. Look at verse 2 and we'll read down through verse 9. All right, For the king said to Joab, the captain of the host, which was with him, go now uh, through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, so from one end of Israel to the other, and number ye the people that I may know the number of the people. Joab said unto the king, Now the Lord thy God, uh, add unto the people how many soever they be, an hundredfold, and that the eyes of my lord the king may see it. But why doth my lord the king delight in this thing? You know what Joab's saying? He's saying, look, I'll go number the people if that's what you want me to do, but you're doing this for the wrong reason, David. You're doing this so your heart can be lifted up in pride. That's not right. Look at verse 4. Notwithstanding, the, word, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the host. And Joab and the captains of the host went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. And they passed over Jordan and pitched in Aroer on the right side of the city that lieth in the midst of the river of Gad and toward Jazir. And then they came to Gilead and to the land Tatim Hodshi. And they came to Danjian and about to Zidon and came to the stronghold of Tyre and all the cities of the Hivites and of the Canaanites. And they went out to the south of Judah, even to Beersheba. So when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and twenty days. So it took them almost ten months to do it. And Joab gave up the sum of the number of the people unto the king. And there were in Israel eight hundred thousand valiant men that drew the sword. And the men of Judah were 500,000 men. So just the army alone had in excess of a million men in it. And so we see here the census taken. If you read the account in First Chronicles 21, we see that Joab did a rush job and didn't even count everybody. Joab was not interested in the census. He rushed through it and rushed the number to David. Now, what... I'm going to finish with this and we'll be done. What made it wrong... For David to number the people. It wasn't the action. It was the motive behind the action. David did it so his heart could be lifted up in pride. I, I think of the story of Nebuchadnezzar. After the three Hebrew boys were thrown in the fire and then re- re- released... And Daniel and the three boys are promoted in the kingdom. God sends Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar and says to Nebuchadnezzar, He says, hey, listen, be, be careful. Don't forget the God of heaven is your king and all the good that you have is because of Him. Don't let your heart be lifted up in pride or He will punish you. And just a few verses later, Nebuchadnezzar walks out on his back porch and he looks at his entire kingdom and he says, look at the kingdom that I have built. And immediately he is struck down and becomes like a cattle of the field. And for seven years he lives like a cattle out, a wild beast out in the field until he comes to himself. God does not want to share his glory with anyone. 
Here God had made David king. He had given him everything he had. He had established his throne forever, uh, and that would be realized through Jesus Christ, one day being king in Israel uh, for all time. And, and David does not see it as though God has given him this excess. Rather now, look what I have done. I'll finish with this. You can do the right thing, but if you do it, lift it up in pride. God is, God's anger is kindled toward you. You know what? Tonight I have opened the Bible and I have articulated truth from God's Word. If I go home tonight and say, I did a great job up there. I've just undone all the good that I did in bringing this Bible study to you. You life group leaders, you get up and you teach your life group. Thank you. Thank you for doing it. Don't you let your heart get lifted up in pride. We're nothing more than a tool in the hand of God. You ministry directors, you be careful. Don't be lifted up in pride. You moms and dads that work hard to provide for your family and love on your kids, don't let your heart be lifted up in pride. You can do the most innocent thing and you can do it to anger the Lord because you've done it out of pride. Let's make sure that we're humble before the Lord. And so we see the source of the senses. We'll get into point number two and the rest of the outline next week. Let's stand together and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Thank you so much for coming out tonight. I hope this is giving you some things to think about. Think about that formula in James 4. Let's go home this evening and bend a knee and make sure our hearts are truly, truly are right with God. All right? Very good.